Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 24th of February 2019. It is in fact the early hours of the morning of the 24th of February because I'm staying up to do the, the, the show early because I've got maybe eight hours or more of hail coming down and then freezing rain on top of that afterwards and then more freezing rain supposedly, then rain and then snow. And I have to stay up to make sure I get as much off the roof as possible because I've never seen so much snow as I've had since about well the beginning of January really. It was really deep, deep, deep freeze time uh, from September right up to that, that period. And I did have snow in September as well that stayed all right up, up and through. But the masses of mounts have come down in this last few weeks has been tremendous. And it's just nothing but shovel, shovel, shovel and trying to save the roof. Because when you get layers of, of ice on top of snow and then more layers, then more, more ice and more snow, like, like a sandwich type idea, a multi-layered sandwich, that weight really packs in pretty quickly, and you've got to get up there somehow to do to get the darn stuff off, or your, your roof definitely will fall down. And that's what's happening across the board here, in a lot of places, actually. And, and because of the cold temperatures this year, and because of the lack of the thawing, the occasion it comes in between big falls, you find the snow just keeps going higher and higher and higher, and that's what I've certainly had here. Although the odd phenomenon too is that the snow, if you drop anything in it, even a, a bar of, of metal or a pole or something, you'll find you pick it up and the snow will attach to itself immediately and, and just stay on it. You can hammer it and the whole thing to try to get it off. Uh, it doesn't just wipe off so easily. It's quite amazing to, to experience all this, uh, this kind of thing. Plus two, when I go into unbroken ground where you haven't walked on the snow before, like the front of the house, because I have to get up there somehow with a long, 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 long pole to try to scrape some of this off, even though I can't really break off enough of the ice, actually. But I can't climb up on top of it. This is too high. But I get into the ground that's got maybe five feet of snow in it, and I have to make a trench through it. And I'm telling you, you, you really smell as you're walking through. It's not hitting the grass yet, but you're getting, there's still maybe a foot of, or two feet of snow underneath you when you make a trench. But you can smell mold in the snow. It's quite phenomenal. A very, very strong smell of mold. I guess it's coming down from the sky from uh, something, but it's very, very, oh, it's obvious, so obvious, it's incredible. Never seen that before either. But anyway, that's where I'm up at this time, uh, and really in the middle of the night, and uh, at the moment it's about 3.18, I think, at the moment, a.m., and I'll try to talk about something, because this whole week, literally, I haven't had time to look at much at all. It really is just just shovel, 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 and out there trying to get snow and an ice off this particular oddly shaped house with this tooth. It's a kind of a sunken basement in it as well, and in the upper floor. But the sunken basement slopes away from the house in the front, so I can't. It's just too high to get up there to get the darn stuff off. But again, that's what we live in now with, with uh, the coming ice age. Eh? <laughs> they should have stuck with that back in the 60s when uh, the same group, by the way, that uh, were looking for a reason uh, before even the Club of Rome get in the act with it too. They, they were looking for a reason to, to take over 
and manage society with experts and and commissars of all kinds and and, and, and academia then and today has, has never been off off the same agenda. They've always been on board with it all. Because that's the real idea of socialism is about. There's nothing to do with helping the public. If there's any help at all, it'd be a, it'd be a spin-off side effect and an accident probably. But in reality, it's about experts running your lives from birth to death to do with consumption, sustainability, population reduction is, is a must-be for them by any and all means possible. And treating the people like children is very important because they can't ever tell you the truth. The few who do come out and tell you the truth about diet injections and injunctions, as Bertrand Russell said, Really, the few they're just ignored. They won't mention them. And although in academia they certainly do, they worship these characters like Julian Huxley and Russell and so on. It's quite fascinating to see how old the gender really is, going way back into the 1800s, and how it all came together properly for the rulers at that time, where they had famines. Not just in Ireland, they had famines, often manufactured famines. In fact in the age of what they call laissez-faire capitalism. And it was a liberal-type upper-middle class that ruled it all. And Britain had its empire, and again, the upper-middle class helped to run it for the masters who owned it all. But the general population, the vast bulk of the public, were not living very well at all. Life was cheap, people died pretty young, and there was often starvation of all kinds happening because under laissez-faire, export across the world was, was vital by the agribusiness. And uh, you couldn't understand that that's never changed. You've, you've got about five agribusinesses running the planet's agricultural systems now. Five companies, corporations. You have a population across the world, most of them, actually, especially in the so-called civilized countries, which really mean totally dominated uh, countries, where you depend on, on supermarket chains to deliver food to you. The ability to even grow the darn stuff yourself has been lost to, to most people. And that's what they, they call a civilization. You, unless you understand what they're talking about, <laughs> and all, all the boots going way, way, way back for centuries, in fact, you'll never understand what's really happening today. Yes, you'll get the, the stories on the neocons back in power with their wars down Venezuela, against Venezuela and so on, and against Iran, etc., and across the Middle East. You can get all of that information for sure. Look at the big, big picture. Because the big picture has all the top countries' leaderships on board with the global sustainability agenda. And it goes way back, even before Karl Marx. Karl Marx put a lot into writing that had been previously discussed for, for generations before he came along to do with centralization of power. It's the old thing, it goes back to even ancient empires where you had a city-state that dominated what became a country and then other nations and other city-states until they had a massive empire. But centralization of power was vital to them and that way they could standardize the system of laws to manage everybody, the system of taxes, especially to tax everybody because everything to do with helping bring civilization is a mass plunder exercise where the wealth is going to all get shifted into the hands of the few around the dominant minority who rule. So it's never changed. And under communism, it's exactly the same. So Marx had the centralization of power idea. He congratulated Lincoln for uh, fighting the South and, and even further integrating the U.S. states 
into a tighter, tighter union uh, for centralization of power. Marx congratulated him with a telegram at the end of that war. You're living through an agenda, a big, big agenda. Those in academia are, are perfectly aware of their part in it. You're given the leaders to follow. It's very simple. It's always been that way, in fact, for over 100 years. And anybody who is not authorized for you to follow simply won't be heard of. <laughs> you get no publicity at all. But they always give you the ones who come out against it, and, and all kinds of professions even. And people will follow because they don't, they don't suspect anything. If they start talking about the same kind of thoughts that you have, then you think they're genuine right off the bat. But if you look at what they belong to, like CFR and higher institutions, even getting asked on television, mainstream television, you, you, that's a clue that you're being misled again. It truly is. And you're in an incredible war, an incredible war. It's total, actually. When total thought and all thought is under attack, unless it's authorized. You're under the same system, actually, that we used to complain about, about the Sovietized system, that used to be complained about by the British system. You have no idea how many people were imprisoned in a free society called England at that time because their sympathies were not with Britain when it came to war with Germany or with other countries, for that matter. They were imprisoned for the duration of the war. George Orwell talks about it. Now, George Orwell is a mysterious man because he belonged to the upper middle class in an intergenerational family of workers for the, what they called the imperial system at that time, the British imperial system. And he also was trained in this strange progressive they call it progressiveness, for instance, for those who don't quite understand it. Most folk can say it all the time, but don't really understand what they mean. To be progressive, you must be progressing towards something that's already drafted out to be coherent and meaningful. And but it's never told to the public what they mean by that. When the upper middle class are for it, you've you got to stop and think a minute here. Don't forget that Carl Quigley, who again, used to be pulled out with, with different experts in the fields of history and so on, and constitution, except for America, he used to be pulled out to, to try and go against what the, the system saw as upstarts that were going to try and expose the system. And so he and the experts would go there and try to decry them with their vast array of knowledge, etc., and expertise and qualifications, and to try and ridicule them. And he admitted when it came to uh, one person that eventually knew his stuff. None dear call it conspiracy, I think that was the book. He said, we're stymied. We, we, we were pulled up to defame this guy. And this is what they do. They'll mock and defame you on behalf of the government. And they're all tied in with the CIA, all these people, by the way. Like, quickly, he, he worked for the State Department, too. When you work for the State Department and you train the State Department people, you're part of the, definitely, the, this, this strange CIA system. But he, he did say, too, he says, there, he says he couldn't deny what this man had gathered. It was a factual evidence of a group, and quickly said it, it says there, there is and has been a group that's operated for over 60 years and given us our presidents in that time, every president. And he said it's secret, and it's often mistaken for communism because our goals are very similar. That's so important. You can read these little things and just dismiss them. But when you're given little gems like that, take them and investigate them. Because he's telling you, this is a global system, remember. 
but not just a system to bring all the happy families across, hands across the sea. It's not that at all. It's for an expertly run society. It's the same thing that Orwell hints at too. Because he, he was so fanatical about it, he did go over and fight with the left-wingers against the government of Spain, for instance. He definitely was on board with much of their ideologies, but he turned against them supposedly when, they, when the communist factions were using the socialists from all the countries like Britain and so on, then they were killing them. Because communism really did believe there could be no other gods before them, and no rivals for sure. But they would use them and then dispose of them, and he, was, he thought it might be targeted too. But you've got to understand, this guy was trained at the top university, just like Lawrence of Arabia was taught the same thing, to go over in the Middle East and subvert that country with incredible propaganda techniques and so on, before he went into actual warfare. They were trained by the British establishment, this strange entity that most folk don't understand at all, especially folk who live in Britain. They really don't. They really, really don't. They think it's just the vestiges of a system that's antiquated and, and just developed by itself from the days of imperialism. Partially true, of course, but it didn't develop by itself. And the city of London never had any preference for, for the British peasant over other peasantry in the planet. So you have to understand what on earth did Orwell envisage for himself and others who were fighting in the Spanish War. And what did he hope to gain from World War II, for instance. In World War II, he helped actually work out the propaganda, and he worked for the Department of Information. And actually, that's all these te- these terms went into his book, Ministry of Love and all this kind of stuff, and the Department of Information. But he worked for it in the BBC, and he was responsible for making up the propaganda that was mainly broadcast initially to, well, his main job, initially to, to, to India and that, the areas over there, for listeners there. But it was propaganda nonetheless, and other forms of propaganda, which he admitted, such as having a, a, a daily show to do with cooking and telling the people how to eat stuff that was much more nutritious for them. Listen to this. So nutritious, that was the propaganda. But it really, it was stuff that would normally get thrown away. It had very little nourishment value at all. The people in Britain were being starved, really, with rationing. From World War I, had rationing, into the Great Depression. It lasted in Britain from the end of World War I. It wasn't to do with just the crash that came later. And they were in depression all the way into World War II. And then they were still in rationing, even worse rationing. And that wasn't lifted until the 1950s. And even then, most folk couldn't afford it because everyone was taxed out of, out of sight. So you've you got to understand that the people who ran Britain, forget the papers and propaganda and so on, that there's a, a much more secretive element to Britain, like the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And, and the, the owners of all the newspapers were members of this organization, this private club. They were the advisors with think tanks for all the nations that Britain ruled over. And, of course, they eventually changed the foreign ones to Council on Foreign Relations, as an example, or Asian Pacific League, etc. And they still draft up the unification of continents today, like the EU, the, the, the North American Free Trade Agreement, before that was a Free Trade Association, FTA. And so on. It's the same group who, who does all the, this work for it. You don't elect them. They're working in universities. They have universities in Canada 
where they are working for global governance and they'll have little things added like innovation, but they're really CFR funded and looked after. And that's where they train future leaders for, for, for different top positions and so on. And that's also where you're, where the smart city idea has been run from, how they can innovate it, make it sustainable, meaning get like out of cars for Agenda 21, for the agenda, the agenda for the whole 21st century, all the different 2015, 2030, 2045. So it's all worked out that way up until the end of the century and everything they must accomplish. It's all done with your tax money being used, never mentioned during election times, kept as quiet as possible from the general public, and, and you're simply run by dictates from government and even local government. We have decided blah, and that's it. Just the same way as the Soviet system did it. Again, going back to Quigley, they're often mistaken for communists. Same agenda. Sustainability, reduction of population, expertly run planning for the people into the compact cities, out of the rural areas, the elimination of freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of action, and the massive training using the, the, the Aldous Huxley method, where they come to love their servitude, given lots of drugs, that's why it's time for it now across the world, and getting lots of cheap entertainment to literally <laughs> make them live in a la-la land. They already do. Look at this stuff. I, I keep using Australia as an example because it's a perfect example. Nothing against Australians. It's just fascinating to see how quickly they're moving it all there. And again, youngsters are almost in... If you remember the Matrix series, the movie series, there was so much, so much in that series that, that people missed. You always get that. You're intentionally getting ideas thrown at you. And all the top stuff, even today, you're getting programming all the time, like I've said before that that movie that came out, it's only one movie with, with brain implants where everything is seen in so, like glasses. Without the glasses, you'll see it inside your, your optic nerves, basically. Your memory will be there. Everybody, you'll see everybody coming up towards you, there, and you'll see imprints in your lens, and basically of who they are, what they are, and all this kind of stuff. All predictive programming. You've had it your whole life, predictive programming, but, but now it's really here. Starting with Star Trek, the old series, with their communicator that was a cell phone. <laughs> so you, you get taught and trained and taught and trained without, and, and you adapt into it. And, and Aldous Huxley said it's a, it becomes a painless concentration camp. And you give it up with, with perfect servility, as Rockefeller said. Perfect servility. They'll come to us with perfect servility. And they don't even know that that's how you are now. But when I look at the, these massive festivals in Australia, and yeah, they have lots of young female models and so on, wearing pretty well nothing at times. But you're seeing the post-cultural war episodes, a few levels of it, all past, that worked perfectly well, step by step, from the grandmother, the mother, to, to the daughter, well, even to the, to the great-granddaughter today, with the sexual revolution, until sex is just a form of uh, casual recreation. And all the old stigmas have gone, to, because the state will deal with any, what they call, unfortunate problems for them. They're told just to play and have a good time. They never mention diseases, of course, that they, they try to play it low-key as much as possible. Even though now in the papers, they keep warning you occasionally, for those who look at different papers than the usual ones, from the, the different uh, health industries, they, 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 they constantly are warning about the incredible diseases uh, that are coming in now, 
of rampant syphilis that almost was eradicated, but now it's rampant back with coming in from different countries. And there's so many types of it are pretty well resistant now to the antibiotics we have. That's only one disease. There's many of them, of course. But it's played down because they want you to have a good time, have fun, and, and whatever you do, don't go back to getting married and having families. That, that's the message, isn't it? And unfortunately, the targets that you'll see in the pictures from Australia and so on, and other countries too, naturally, just in Australia, you've got better weather, so it goes a bit further, faster. But uh, it, it's fascinating to see that they're living a virtual reality life, in fact, where they even dress up like the characters in mythological, almost cartoonish uh, ways. Uh, but these people really are adults running around like that. And yeah, they're having fun. And yeah, the, the, you don't have any responsibility or, anymore over yeah, the, the, really the, the outcomes of things you're doing. But it ties in again with the meetings, well-documented meetings, world meetings on depopulation. Even the one it was done during World War II, and it was the King of England that chaired it at the time. During the war, where people were being slaughtered all over the world, they were worried about too many people not dying off because of the war, and too many of, of people just breeding afterwards. They eventually called it the baby boomers, as though no one had children before or something. You, you understand the terminology is meant to make you think about things negatively. So they call them baby boomers. People, all the people had children before that World War Two. That's how the folk who went and fought in World War Two were alive to go and do it, you know. But you understand, you're constantly given terminology worked out by marketers who work with psychologists. And psychology, by the way, the real reason for behaviorism in psychology was for total control of the public for this particular system I'm talking about. Hasn't changed either. And to make behavior modification easy for, for those who control the general public. But what I'm getting at here is most folk don't know any of this. Or if they do, they can't retain it for long. Because you're given stacks of data like never before. I've mentioned it before. Even from the intelligence agencies that published some of their techniques years ago. And I've read them a few times over the years, the last 20 odd, over 20 years. They admit that they'll flood the people with data and trivia. And that will simply absorb their time. Get them nowhere because there's no danger in giving you data. The data doesn't have to be factual, true, or anything else. Just data. It's, it's mainly ooh and ah stuff, you know. Did you know that blah, blah, ooh, you know. That's, that's how simple it is. Or lots of pictures of Siamese twins or something. This is what they give you for news. It's not news. It's deliberately put in there to distract you and to train you. And it's already worked. It's already worked that you don't have to sit back and expect to be given any real news that is going to affect your life from the media. That's the reason for it. And data is just data. It doesn't mean anything to you. Sad but true. You understand that we are, we are the world's problem, according to those who own us. And they're quite open about the fact that they, we, are, we are actually existing uh, their sufferance. And the way they talk to us is just as arrogantly as, as the elite that would talk to us back in the early 20th century, for instance. 
what gets me is, is and I do, I, I, I look at all different aspects of everything. And when I talk about things, I don't think I'm just condemning things. I'm not a person to stop anything. How, how could you? You understand, you, you can only help the occasional individual who is truly, truly sincere and who is truly wanting to know because for their own benefit, their own mental health, being awake through all of this is like the one-eyed man is king in the land of the blind. And it's true. You, you, you feel much more, much better when you realize that it's folk go crazy and you're not going crazy. It's because you understand that, that they want you to go crazy. <laughs> and now you don't have to. You can't stop the mob, as they call it, either, because they will go whichever way they're directed. Look at the groups today that are so radicalized and how easy it was to radicalize them. When you're radicalized and you join groups, you don't think for yourself anymore. You are part of the problem. That's what the United Nations said. They, they hate the individual. They really hate the individual. They want you all to belong to the groups which they are partly responsible in organizing. But anyway, you've got to understand you're living in a very complicated, multi-layered system of control. And all the departments, as I've said before, in academia, to do with the mind, with psychology, neuroscience, behaviorism, are all part of, of controlling you. That's their purpose, the ultimate revolution that Aldous Huxley called it. Total control to take away your will. You remember, too, that Aldous Huxley and his brother, Julian Huxley, considered themselves to be part of the scientific ruling elite. And they talked about this separately and how they belonged to a, a scientific family, intergenerational, a kind of revolutionary part of it, too, because science is always breaking ground, technically revolutionary. But also how to do, the work was to do with controlling people. Julian Huxley worked with UNESCO to create a, to standardize a, a curriculum across the planet to ensure the same indoctrination and secular humanism across the board in all countries to make it easier to dominate and control everybody. Secular humanism is a religion, but they don't have uh, the allegiance of the individual to a deity, which makes it far easier to control them. In secular humanism, they have lots of saints, but it's all left-wing saints of, of uh, authorship, etc., that they, they quote and talk about, and so they can't think for themselves. The Huxleys were part of this org a secret organization, very secretive, with different multi-layered uh, factions of professionals working in their specialized areas for the same agenda. Charles Galton Darwin was one as well. And remember that that particular Darwin worked in the Manhattan Project for the atomic bomb during World War II. But he wrote in, in the next million years that there's too many people, of the wrong people actually, and he said we'd have to, they were talking about ways to get them to stop breeding. And if they could just get the women, all the women into workforce, uh, make it very sexy to be in the workforce, for instance, have their money and so on, and, and buy cars and so on, and, and what you wanted, then they wouldn't have to have marriage, etc. If they didn't have marriage, then hopefully they wouldn't have children. That was what he was talking about. And even before him, you have H.G. Wells talking about this. They all belonged to the same organization and had their own specialized parts to play in making things happen 
on behalf of this organization. It still, still exists today, and it succeeded beyond its wildest dreams. Destroyed the culture for the people. It's destroyed what was called religion for the people. And I'm talking about religion where you could talk to a deity who's, who, who is the ultimate master as opposed to your government. Understand, well said it. They said they must destroy the religions in the Western countries especially in order to dominate the people because the biggest problem they had was the rights that their religion had given each individual versus the fact of a government who wants to take away those rights except for the ones it gives you. In fact, they don't give you rights, they give you privileges which can be taken off you any time. This is an incredible war, really. The, the cultural revolutions, we had it before, you know, in, in the West, even quieter ones before the sexual revolution, but we had them before the, the communists in China had their, had their cultural revolution. In fact, much of what was used in China had been experimented on already in Western countries, going back to 1920s even, when they tried cocaine and drugs and the miniskirt and booze cans and made it sexy and to get people being promiscuous, you understand? But they didn't have the pill at that time or the, all the abortion facilities. So they put it on hold again until the 60s. That, that, you have no idea that, that, that these things are not coincidental. It's, it's, it's a, real, a really worked out plan. But anyway, let's look at, say, George Orwell. George Orwell put out his book 1984 during, he really thought about, about the idea in the late 30s when they were going to war with Germany and he published it in 1948 or it was released then I should say and it was uh, 1984 also titled that he wanted to call it The Last Man in Europe I think it was The Last Man because really the last thinking person who would be able to think that it was about that too with a character in it of Winston after that, it wouldn't matter. No one could break free from the, the mind control that we instilled in everybody perfectly through science. That's, this already happened. But anyway, he talked. He, he did send a copy off to different people. And one was to one of his, the people he admired, and it was, it was Aldous Huxley. And Aldous Huxley had been a tutor of his at Eton for a short period in 1917. I think it was 1917 where he taught French to, to Orwell. And in the 1932, I think it was, maybe Brave New World came out from Aldous Huxley that really showed you through science, understanding of human nature and using the sciences to exploit this human nature and manipulate it, they could eventually come to society where you had a controlled population. You were all born in test tubes, basically, and your, your genes were completely manipulated for the function that you had to serve society. So there you had the perfect, as a Marxist said, and, and, and the Marxists really are just part of the same group. The real Marxists, that is, who rule the world through finances and through academia and so on. An empire. This empire. Brave New Worlds would get just an amount of different uh, people it would need for each category, each class or caste system, from the alpha plus all the way down. So distribution of labor was already worked out. You were born into your function, basically. And you couldn't do much about it because you, genetically, any genes that would cause individuality to crop up were eliminated before, you know, from, from the, the ovum or the sperm that was eventually put in and, and heavily manipulated and, and, until you were simply a, a repeat, a kind of clone of previous types that had gone before you in the same jobs or class. But he also he said that you could get the people 
to the exact number that you wanted for, for sustainability. This is 1930s, remember. You could make sure they were happy because uh, even the traits that led to depressions would be removed from, from genetically. If it, was, if it was genetic, it would be removed, you see, in this, this, uh, this technique. And you would be what they wanted you to be, very predictable. Even your likes would probably be already instilled into you. And your traits were being good at accounting or bookkeeping or whatever with certain class, certain types that they had. And all the way down to the ones who had to do the manual work, the manual repetitive labor, boring labor, they, they would be made for their task, although some of them still went a bit crazy with, with the boredom. But that was the perfect system of Brave New World. And everyone could get to Soma, the drug, which would just make them instantly happy. It would, it would relieve you of anxiety pretty quickly. And you had a good supply of it. You had good health too. They made sure that until you, a certain age would crop up and you'd suddenly age very quickly and die. And death was also encouraged. It's a wonderful thing. The children were brought around not to mourn death in this, this atheistic type society. Although the state was worshipped because it gave you all your goodies and your, your free sex and big clubs and all that kind of thing to be happy, happy, happy with. Anyway. Here is what George Orwell received after sending the book out to, to his mentor, in a sense, someone he admired, uh, Huxley. This is what Huxley said after reading his book, or some of his book. He couldn't read all of it because, because Aldous Huxley had terrible eyesight, terrible problems with his eyes. He could only read in little bursts here and there because it hurt him to try to read things. But it says that he said that it was 1949, after Orwell's book came out, and Aldous Huxley sent a letter back. So anyway, it says here that, Dear Mr. Orwell, it's very kind of you to tell your publisher to send me a copy of your book. It arrived as I was in the midst of a piece of work that required much reading and consulting on references. And since poor eyesight, or poor sight makes it necessary for me to ration my reading, I had to wait a long time. He goes on to say, agreeing with all that the critics have written of it, I need not tell you yet once more how fine, how profoundly important the book is. May I speak instead of the thing with which the book deals, which is the ultimate revolution. The first, this is so important, the ultimate revolution. The first hints of a philosophy of the ultimate revolution, the revolution which lies beyond politics. See, here you go. Beyond politics, because all the leaders of all parties, as, as Quigley said, belonged to the same group and had for over 60 years in the 1960s. <laughs> so you went in the 1800s. Anyway, beyond politics and economics, and which aims at total subversion of the individual psychology and physiology, are to be found in the Marquis de Sade. So awfully important, this stuff who regarded himself as the continuator, the consummator of Robespierre and Babouf, the philosophy of the ruling minority in 1984, is comparing his book with 1984, is a sadism which has been carried to its logical conclusion by going beyond sex, going beyond sex, understand this, and denying it, where in actual fact the policy of the boot on the face can go on indefinitely seems doubtful. 
Now, don't forget that Orwell was comparing Britain and the West at that time to the Soviet Union, where they had all this stuff in effect, they, 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 and they put into 1984. So Huxley goes on to, to basically contrast the differences in how he saw the world. And don't forget that Huxley <laughs> belonged to the scientific elite who understood psychology and psychiatry and behaviorism, and what we call neuroscience, and did all the studies of the ages at their fingertips. Always adding to it, right to the present, of course. But he says here, My own belief is that the ruling oligarchy will find less arduous and wasteful ways of governing and of satisfying its lust for power. So there's no, there's no problem talking about its lust for power. Just forget all this democracy stuff, and we're here to help you. And uh, for sustainability and saving the planet, I'm talking here, right? <laughs> to save the planet. I've got to take all your rights away from you and, and, and manage you to save us all. That's just the, other, the present con, folks, to make it all happen. Anyway, it says, lust for power, and these ways will resemble those which I described in Brave New World. I have had occasion recently to look into the history of animal magnetism and hypnotism. And I've been greatly struck by the way in which for 150 years the world has refused to take serious cognizance of the discoveries of Mesmer, Braid, Esdale, and the rest. Now, remember, this is written in the 1940s. And in the 50s and the 60s, they went way beyond anything with the Esalon Institute and different institutes are set up. Now you can make folk do anything you want them to do, even eat bugs on television or lie in coffins of fecal matter, for that matter. And they'll fight each other to do it, to win something. Who would have thought, eh? So, so let's go back to what he's saying here. Partly because of the prevailing materialism and partly because of prevailing respectability. 19th century philosophers and men of science were not willing to investigate the order facts of psychology for practical men, such as politicians, soldiers, and policemen, to apply in the field of government. Thanks to the voluntary ignorance of our fathers, the advent of the ultimate revolution was delayed for five or six generations. The advent of the ultimate revolution was delayed for five or six generations. Another lucky accident was Freud's inability to hypnotize successfully and his consequent disparagement of hypnotism. This delayed the general application of hypnotism to psychiatry for at least 40 years. But now, listen, psychoanalysis being combined with hypnosis, and hypnosis has been made easy and indefinitely extendable through the use of barbiturates, you're talking about drugs now, which induce a hypnoid and suggestible state in even the most recalcitrant subjects. Now, that was heavily used through the 50s and 60s and 70s, even with MK Ultra, which didn't stop when they said it stopped either, and didn't start when, it, when they claimed it started. It was much earlier than that too. They were using all kinds of hallucinogenic drugs and so on. And it says... Within the next generation, I believe that the world's rulers will discover that infant conditioning, infant conditioning, and narco-hypnosis are more efficient as instruments of government than clubs and prisons, and that the lust for power can be just as completely satisfied by suggesting people into loving their servitude as by flogging and kicking them into obedience. In other words, I feel that the nightmare of 1984 is destined to modulate in, into 
the nightmare of a world having more resemblance to that which I imagined in Brave New World, the change was brought about as a result of a felt need. Felt need, right? For increased efficiency. What do you think you're hearing today about all these sustainability? It's going to be, and they talk about efficiency, efficiency for farming. It's too important, they say, at the United Nations to be left to farmers. And, of course, the big corporations say the same thing because they snap up all the farms, the small farms, and amalgamate into their big, big monstrosities. Your whole food supply is under a handful, a small handful, maybe even one cartel, really. What a power that is. What a power, eh? And you have no idea. And you trust all. That's all that holds us together is trust, isn't it? Trusting systems you don't even understand, never mind even know exist for most folk. Anyway, Huxley goes on to say, Meanwhile, of course, there may be a large-scale biological and atomic war in which case we shall have nightmares of other and scarcely imaginable kinds. So he's given you, he tells you where it's going to go. In Brave New World, don't forget, you have all, as, as much sex as you want. In fact, it's a cultural no-no to have the same partner over and over again. You're supposed to take every, different people every night of the week, basically. Don't forget when that when he wrote that one, 1932 or so, that was a brave new world. That was quite an idea, a thought, isn't it? The abolition of marriage. Again, same as the communists, isn't that coincidental? Again, getting back to Quigley, he said, we're often mistaken for communists, he says. He told me the CFR, Royal for International Affairs, same group, Council on Foreign Relations. So, so there you have it. I mean, nothing has happened before I was born and since, and, and to come, it wasn't discussed by big think tanks, by the way. Don't forget that Huxley isn't just talking off the top of his head. He belonged to the top think tanks of the day. Very secretive, very powerful, with incredible data. I've been flooding in every day on behavioral studies and so on. And even what he said here, what, what I've said already here, how many of you actually think about what, what, what Wait, why is he talking? He's talking about Mesmer and Braid and Esdale and the rest, but the fact is we now have so many subliminals just banging away. It's quite, whether it's legal or not, it doesn't matter. You're getting them all the time. You find the same thing with Freud's nephew, Bernays, who said the same thing, that this power, this power to control the mind, is done all the time by the big marketing organizations that knew the psychology of the people, and they are the real power behind the throne, basically. Because they could tap into it, the unconscious desires and things that you have, they don't consciously think about very often. But they're always working on you, and they use them against you. So he puts on the line there that they could train the people in. Don't forget, too, school is awfully important from very early school. Everything you read, even at school, your initial little children's stories, the authors all get paid to put the updated PC stuff into them. They get paid extra to make sure that's all in there. And the same with cartoons and movies and films. There's nothing out there that's not weaponized politically. Nothing. Not anymore. That's what we've got. Now, he mentions, too, the Mackie de Sade. The Mackie de Sade was a sexual revolutionary. And all kinds of sadomasochism and possibly even down to death, in fact, for that matter. And it was part two of revolution, you see, the end of this, what they called cultural inhibition, which is the only way society could survive. They didn't have welfare states back then, you know. They didn't give it to the public. Why should you pay for other people's children or for their decisions for being pregnant in the first place? I mean, these were all big, big things at one time. 
when they eventually started heavy taxation, in came the abortion clinics and so on. You've got to understand, we're managed like a herd of cattle, and those who manage us often refer to us as cattle, by the way, as well. We certainly get milked a lot, don't we? Everything we get we produce is taken from us. But anyway, that's a different story. What I'm saying is, it's fascinating to me, it really is, to live through the time when right is wrong, it's been taught everywhere now, suddenly, and, and up is down, left is right, etc., etc. All the opposites come to the fore as new normals, uh, as they were planned to come out. But to read it years ago, even as a child, a lot of this stuff, and then you, you actually live through it and see it happening. It's mind-blowing, even though you know you're living through an agenda. And the script is written to actually experience the big, big shakeups that go on. It's still, it's almost exciting to live through it because you're aware of it, where most folk are not aware of it, even as they're adapting into it all. That's fascinating too, just watching and studying. As I say, Aldous Huxley did give a lot out to the public in interviews because he always started off his talks by saying his biggest fear for the future was overpopulation. But he'd never told directly to the public. Some people, some of them did, like H.G. Wells. Wells hated even the British working class people as being inferior. He, he, he was terrified of them, actually. They don't differentiate between the peasants, as in countries like Britain, to, then to Africa or to China or anywhere else. They're all the same. I could, I could go on and on and on, even though, as I say, I, I, all week I've been just basically shoveling snow and try to clear the, 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 the roof. You swear this stuff expands the snow all the time. It's the strangest looking snow that I've ever seen. But anyway, that's a different story again. So I'll put up some links too to show you Australia, because it, it, it ties in with what's happening in Australia, as I say, where they're, they're, they're at the next stage. They're post, almost post-sexual, it's beyond sexual revolution. It, it's almost post, well, it's, it's now into sexual boredom, I think. They had books out in universities in the, the, the 80s, for instance, on what their own teachings in universities would do to society as, as the students went into the world and adopted into their own lives their teachings in the universities and how sex would become boring and then how men might get fed up having sex with, with women at all because it was just so commonplace, etc. And how they would introduce all kinds of self-eroticism, etc., and all kinds of, and you've seen, I've seen it all happen. It's in the papers. And if people have floated through it without even thinking as to how it all happened. Isn't that, that's what astonishes me. Really. It is so true, and I hate to say it. Bertrand Russell said, there's nothing we cannot do with people. Nothing. And that should be terrifying. Because when you've lost your basic common sense and grounding, grounding into personal, personal determination, and survival, it's really over for the bulk of the populace. I hate to say that, but it is true, isn't it? I can still talk to those who are looking for answers, and, and it is so true, lots of people across the world come in all the time. I'm glad to say there's a great response from, from people who, who have pulled themselves out of traps they've been in with all of this, and they've got off the drugs or whatever it is that they've turned to, because a lot of them who are a bit brighter will, will try and quieten their minds by any kind of drug, whether it's alcohol or all the terrible amount of drugs that are out there that really destroy you. 
and they're, they're learning to that that now they know the reasons for things. They can investigate, and it really does empower you when you know why. When you know why the other ridiculous characters are presented to you in television as new leaders of all kinds are there, and what they really belong to, and listen to the things they're promoting. Now you know where it all comes from. They're all fronts, all of them, folks. Well paid fronts. It's really something to see. Politics is completely politicized in, in a different way than you think of politics. Politics is a joke today, an absolute joke, as you all know. And they've managed to, to, to try and get everybody back into politics, and this wing and that wing and all the rest of it, to basically throw you off the track. They're all the same. The same agenda goes forward. I've watched it for years since the Free Trade Agreement for Canada through the NAFTA agreement into the new... This changed the name because we're all, we all knew what NAFTA was. It's the same group. And the presidents of the countries must sign it every, the next update of it every other year or so. And have been since the first lots way back. Regardless of the parties who's in office at the moment, what front group is in, they all sign it and update it. None of them throw it out the window. And the intent was completely... In your face in 2005, it was to literally amalgamate all of the Americas into a single system, just like Europe, with its own individual government. Now, Australia, getting back to Australia as an example, because it really is, and I really feel sorry for Australians of how they've been a, a, a tremendous test bed for a lot of this. Here right now, you've, you've got some of Australia's top universities are accused of selling permanent residency and access to jobs to foreign students. Every country in the West is doing the same thing. So claims made that some Australian universities are effectively selling their residency. And a Melbourne population expert said universities opening shop fronts in the city and they're offering a bare minimum courses to qualify for skilled visas, he says. We live in an age of incredible greed, folks. And since there is no morality, anything to do with even cultural morality is being tossed out the window for greed. Everywhere you look, it's the same. And it'll get a lot worse, by the way. Australia's immigration levels soared to a record high in 2018, with 832,560 new arrivals calling the country home after government promised cuts. Now, that's not all the migrants came in. That's, these are the ones, a lot of them, that, that are, um, I guess it's probably they apply to come in. It reminds me of that old saying, the mythological saying of, of Nero fiddling while Rome burned. It's kind of like that, like party, party, till you drop. That's, if you're reading the papers as an alien looking at this strange place with these incredible big festivals they're having, and they're all having fun and so on. The music, like, the, you know, wearing very, very little, and there should be lots of sex involved and things like that. But you realize that most of those people will never have children, and they won't want, even want children. So they're being phased out, all of them. And they don't even know that either. But they'll have fun by painless concentration camp, like Aldous Huxley said. They'll have fun until they, they die, basically. But they won't leave anything behind. Never mind another generation. So it's all working very well, isn't it? Another thing, too, with Australia. They always go along with the Western society, especially America, to do with, with who the latest enemy is. And because it was back to Russia and China. I said in the 90s, in a show, that they'd bring back the Russian bear, the big bad bear, if they, if they start losing too much money in the weapons industry. And here, lo and behold, here it goes. But also China, and with that Huey debacle that they've created, 
you, you find says, what will we, we, we lose if an angry China stops buying from us? Australia will plunge into recession. It's strange. I said that last week that Australia is proudly declaring with its virtue signaling, as leaders are, uh, how they've, they've, they're banning uh, a, new, a new coal mine from opening because they don't want it sold in the country. But what they don't mention is they, they only sell all to China's buying up because, they, in fact, China's laughing at them for not having modern coal generators, which really are, are, are awfully good because they, all that carbon that's just taken out of it through incredible filters now. But facts don't matter, right? You take away energy, make it expensive, people start dying, folks. Food is an energy. When you don't get what you need, the proper food, you start dying, you get sick, diseases come back. It's all part of Gen 21 and sustainability. So China has said that with, it, with them getting this bad flack from Australia about Huawei going along with America and Canada, they're going to stop uh, taking the coal from Australia, $22 billion a year. Mm-hmm. Now in Australia is all in panic, of course. And that'll be fixed very quickly, I'm sure. You see the groveling that'll happen. <laughs> Says China, which also spends $10 billion a year uh, sending international students to Australia, has hinted at a trade war in retaliation for Huey being banned from installing the next generation 5G mobile phone network and the national broadband network over spying fears. Well, how come it's okay to buy all our computers from China? Because they're all made there. But one company, uh, you know, it's such nonsense, isn't it? The West system that runs the West created modern China. We funded them into existence. We funded our factories over there with free trade and the GATT Treaty. The people who rule us all, funded it all. They own shares in all those factories in China. They've never complained until now that all your computers and so on are made there. But this Huey one is the big one. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Who's kidding who, folks? It's quite some. And yet, there's other countries <laughs> not uh, there that um, make all your software and everything. And it's a country boasting openly that they do most of this, the anti-spy work and the security systems for computers. And that the, the guy that is now working with them was the head of the NSA in America for a while. Uh, you got to laugh at the, the, the nonsense you're getting. And we've all to emulate China anyway. They're the model state we must all emulate. And because and, they control their population very, very well. And if most Chinese are pretty happy people. A painless concentration camp to an extent. As long as you do what you're told and obey all the rules and don't say anything f- from your own thoughts, basically. They also have articles that welcome to 2019 where the phone is a weapon of deception. And a new study projects that nearly half of our calls this year will be spam. Well, who's trying to stop that? Nobody. I can see. And another thing I want to mention too, before I run out of time, I already run out of time. I've overdone it again, as always. Even though I didn't have anything ready, really, for this one, because of this last hectic week, last hectic few weeks, actually. It's horrible talking about the press. Most folk don't know that he did a preface to his first book in 1984 that was taken off from subsequent books because it might offend folk. And he didn't want it removed, but he was talking about the press themselves and how the press go along with totalitarian regimes, including Britain. He said you didn't didn't have to tell them what not to print. They would would go along with it voluntarily, the so-called free press, right? But he also talked about censorship of speech and so on. 
And he says, these people don't see that if you encourage totalitarian methods, he's talking about the left, far left and so on, which is no different than the fascist systems that they had. They're really one and the same thing. I don't care what you want to call them. It's the same thing. Run by the same people, actually. Who, who own this, the whole system. To get change in the system, you need two sides. You create them. And you plan the conflict and you plan the outcome. He says, these people don't see that if you encourage totalitarian methods, the time may come when they were used against you instead of for you. Make a habit of imprisoning fascists without trial, and perhaps the process won't stop at fascists soon after the suppressed daily worker, this is what we had in Britain at the time during World War II, had been reinstated. This is out of lecturing at a working men's college in South London. The audience were working class and lower middle class intellectuals. The same sort of audience that one used to meet at the left book club branches. The lecture had touched on the freedom of the press, and at the end, to my astonishment, several questioners stood up and asked me, did I not think that the lifting of the ban on the daily worker was a great mistake? When I asked why, they said it was a paper of doubtful loyalty and ought not to be tolerated in time of war. So anyway, he ended up defending the daily worker, which even had libel to him at times. He knew to stand up for other people's points of view. Or you're in a totalitarian system completely. The very thing you're supposedly standing up to fight against you have become, you always become your enemy, unless you're conscious of what you're working through. People in a mob are never conscious, because they've lost their individual ability to think for themselves. Lenin, remember, talked about, we shall win by slogans. Look at all the slogans across the board today, and the name-calling. The name-callings are just categories of slogans as well. And they're being encouraged for universities. They're the main. That's where you, every. I've said this since before. Probably the communists' uh, attempts to take over the West years and years ago. They're all getting trained at universities, the top universities. Why would that be? Why would your Ivy League universities have departments where they teach communism and generations of future leaders to be communists? Unless it's the same group who are your so-called fascists and your capitalists. At the top, and it is In article 2 Cold outbreaks are not caused by global warming And it talks about The so-called topic of floods and, and animal migrations And disease outbreaks and so on Mass extinctions, all the terrible things That they, they warn you about daily Through television, no doubt According to climate activists They're all caused by dangerous man-made That's uh, anthropogenic global warming And this in turn is supposedly caused by Rising carbon dioxide Levels resulting from the use of fossil fuels. They might as well add alien invasions to this because it's all nonsense. Indeed, the climate scare industry, and it is a scare industry because that's the agenda, folks. To take all your rights off you. You'll voluntarily give them up and get managed. Indeed, the climate scare industry has achieved such a level of absurdity that on February the first journalist, Andrew Rifkin, reported in a Natural Geographic article that many stories in recent days highlighted studies concluding that global warming is boosting the odds of cold weather outbreaks. And then this article is through it all and, and debunks all their stuff and so on. And those who've been following it for years know that the cons that they've pulled where they give you scary stories and and most folk can never check it up, or you can't even find data to check it up and, and, and even ridicule it, or, or believe it for that matter. Just keep churning out scary, scary stories. But anyway, some of the experts too, like Dr. Ball, for instance, 
Dr. Timball, environmental consultant, former climatology professor at the University of Winnipeg, Manitoba, said that Scavia's statement is utter rubbish. It's wrong in every aspect, from the basic assumptions to the interpretation. In fact, a gradient makes things move. It doesn't keep the cold where it is. So he debunks this this latest thing too. Is this too easy for the... But don't forget the real agenda and using all these excuses. Also, there's a Centre for International Governance Innovation. It's called CG. It was set up quite some time ago, actually. The University of Waterloo is a big, big player in this. It's in the former Seagram Museum in the uptown district of Waterloo, Ontario. It's now situated in the CG campus, which also houses the CG Auditorium and the Balsili School of International Affairs. It's quite interesting because international governance and innovation. All the CFR stuff, Council of Foreign Relations stuff, is completely, it's, it's actually really part of it, as far as I can tell. The top members of the CFR who, who've already done positions in CFR studies and so on, and international development research centres and so on, and to do with money and the IMF, etc., and the World Bank, people who worked in all these kind of things too. It's fascinating to see. This is one of the big, big agencies for the CFR, or Institute for International Affairs, call it what you want. It has many, many names for the same organization, but it's completely on board with the whole global agenda. And they actually use Waterloo area for an area for their sustainability testing and programming and so on. And they've churned out somebody who's going to go across the country now, given a plum job, obviously, to do with municipalities for climate innovation programs and so on. Do you realize there was a municipality agreement there for transition 2050 partner grant recipients and this was is providing grants to 10 organizations that will help participate municipalities and all sizes from all regions of Canada to reach significant carbon emission reduction targets the same agenda same agenda same agenda eh? get the cars off the road etc and decide how you're going to live and how even building houses where they're going to be what kind of houses yada 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 did you vote for any things no you don't and that's how you run folks by the so-called pretended experts. Waterloo City Councillor, where CG's headquarters is, bring climate change expertise across Canada. Eh? So somebody I've never heard of before, Award for Councillor Diane Freeman, will be travelling across the country as part of the Municipalities for Climate Innovation Program. Did you vote again for that? No, you didn't. Do you have a say in it? No, you don't. She says she'll be working with municipalities across the country to help them find efficiencies when addressing climate change. Now, talk about getting you off the, out your cars and, and more plug-ins for electric cars, which are useless in this climate here. And they know that it's not meant to be practical. as to get rid of your, your gasoline engines. That's what it's for. Once they're gone, folks, you can moan all you want when, you're, when your electric cars just run down or you can't replace the batteries after three or four years and you get paid another 40, 50 grand for the batteries alone. Understand? Agenda 21... The main charter says that the elimination of private vehicles. What part of that don't you understand? And they also want to, what you're going to eat and everything else too. There's a couple of articles about that. I think what's up with that's got that. And, and the fact that the energy to do with food energy, as I've said last week and before, even years before, I've mentioned that food is energy. And they're going to go after that. And they haven't gone after that for years and years and years. And bring you down off your, your protein diet into Rhea vegetable diets, and you'll start seeing yourself getting sicker again too. Never mind the fact that most of what you're eating now is so heavily contaminated with herbicides and pesticides. 
for the genetically modified food. And Canadians, by the way, remember, were the test, the unwitting subjects for the testing of the food, GM food, for 10 years before it was admitted that the the government had signed a secret deal with the the big chemical agency that that owned all the time, you know who they are, uh, to do it. They didn't even inform the public. We were informed through a big meeting in Britain at the time when Tony Blair was going to introduce the genetically modified or engineered crops into Britain. And there was big rallies against it in Britain. And that's when we found out from the, from the NGOs over there that we were, they were testing it out here in Canada for 10 years in secrecy across the whole country. But study our health. They know what it does. And everyone thinks they're free, eh? Anyway, it says, Iran-Contra and arms for hostage scandals. An old one, because Elliot Abrams is back in the saddle, and he was there in uh, 1985 to do with the wars against the same countries and, you know, Latin America against uh, Iran as well. It's the same bunch, and him and a a bunch more like him, actually. Pacific Islanders reject socialist proposal to trade sovereignty for climate change safety. And back in Australia, <laughs> where you can get as much sex as you want, ground with hardly none at all, but um, and take drugs and so on. But it says, is your home contaminated with meth? Shock has revealed that sixty-four percent of houses are tested, which are tested are riddled with ice residue, posing a serious health risk. It says they did a massive test in the Sydney area. Sixty-four percent of the homes tested positive, and half of Australians have been bullied at school. This is interesting too, because the mental health industry are kind of kicking back at the same time, trying to get more power over everybody, especially children. I mean, is this, how many children now are, are prescribed uh, antipsychotic drugs, or or they're given uh, basically amphetamine as well, prescription for different ADHD, etc., and all these fake uh, diagnoses. Because young guys have got lots of it, generally grow out of it, but uh, now they're all getting drugs, so they'll sit in school and just drool, and they don't cause any problems for the teachers. Boys are different from girls in school. I know that, because uh, I was, I was, I've been a boy, you see, and I can remember what it was like, and they had to get rid of that energy and have multiple breaks, etc., to run around the place and burn it off. That's the difference. So the mental health industry is trying to get back, to get more folk on it. It says, half of Australians have been bullied at school or work major study finds amid the warnings of currently facing a mental health crisis. It's interesting the particular group they're using to say they're getting bullied at school because it was actually for a different purpose, as you all know what it is. But this is what they're trying to hit back with for putting so many people on drugs, <laughs> so many students and so on. Because there's been so bad, so many bad raps recently about the amount of uh, children taking antidepressant pills. Since Australia's mental health crisis deepens as the number of children taking antidepressant pills doubles in just six years to 100,000 after a spate of youth suicides. So children are killing themselves now. Do you wonder why, when all normal, normal purposes, which it used to be, whether you liked it or not, just very straightforward, you know. You grew up, you did certain things, and you end up generally having a family, and you worked, and they gave you purpose. And so they've all been taken away, folks, by design, by some of the folk I've been mentioning tonight, and many others who work in the same organizations. And when you lose that, you become nihilistic. You can't see purpose anymore. Uh, the electronic systems that are meant to spy on everybody and really control everybody are just that. They're not your friends. Electricity is not your friends here. 
they can't supply you with a virtual, real person. You, a friend of you, it won't happen. And to have real people in the world is becoming less and less uh, probably able to, to, to actually find any who can be real friends with people anymore. They're all rather screwed up. It's not their fault. They are truly the, the, the victim. They're the targeted people. Everybody's been targeted for total change. And with nihilism of two, it's easier to bring in um, euthanasia, isn't it? They're already doing it in some countries since they introduced euthanasia. And they, they, they want to give them to people who are just fed up and depressed. So make it legal, you see. You see where it's all going and meant to go. <laughs> and then life becomes cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And eventually they, they, they'll sterilize even more folk openly. Openly, not just in the ways, the ways they've been doing it. And everybody so far in the West. They want efficiency, as, as they said, as Huxley said. Children deliberately overdosing on antidepressants and antipsychotics. It's astonishing. It says people born after 1997 are most at risk of self-harm poisonings, according to a study published in the BMJ Open on Thursday. And girls are much more likely to overdose than males at a rate of 3 to 1. And it's mainly dispensed psychotropic medications. Quite some when children at these ages can find no natural excitement to be alive and purpose. And do you think that's just coincidental, do you? And also the mental health industry is trying to get more. Well, we've got to deal with this. You know. No, I think they help cause it along with the culture industry, folks. Don't you? And that's really what is happening, isn't it? The people really don't know what's been done to them. They think they're, again, a painless concentration camp because they can play, play, play until they're geriatrics, in fact. Just play, play, take drugs and play. Don't think about anything serious, which keeps you out of the picture of doing anything that may alter the future. Uh, just play until you're into an old age home and maybe they'll euthanize you if you become too expensive and as a burden on society. They've got people in Australia, professors, who come out and settle that kind of stuff. We see nothing wrong with it. In fact, one of them got lots of airtime naturally. They always give them airtime, you understand. Because it's a system that wants it, and, and one professor said that, and, and it gets them all these little clicks on the internet. Oh, they're clicking, clicking, clicking. You can't do anything naturally now. You've got to be sensational about it. But he, he said that the older folk who are in their 60s could, could maybe just die off. You mean voluntarily die off and leave more jobs for the young folk. So what I'm saying uh, isn't some conspiracy stuff. It's from their own lips. And there's also an article, too, I could put up. It's from Conspiracy Theory, where the CIA came out with the idea of in the 60s to try and ridicule folk who were asking questions about uh, JFK at the time. And they said, well, start labeling everybody a conspiracy theorist, even though conspiracy is one of the biggest crimes in the U.S. They all start off with conspiracy theories in court. They're called conspiracy theories. When they go after different people, they find out certain things. And someone did a survey recently in the U.S. court system, and they found out there were 10,000 initial on the first search that they did current uh, conspiracy theory investigations going on right now for court purposes. This is it's a, a accepted term and always has been in, in the court system. But when they want to ridicule you, they call you a theorist. Mind you, counterintelligence for the same one system that runs everything, gives you, you're almost clones. They'll come out there and say the same things you've been talking about because they grab it all, and then they bring in aliens and different kinds of weird, strange beings uh, to, to try and lump pe- people.
people like myself into that group, even though I don't talk about the strange uh, beings and so on, they eat, uh, drink blood and all that nonsense. But that's what they do. It's called counterintelligence. You bring out the, the leaders for that, heavily finance them. They're not out there by chance, folks. You have no idea of the scope of the war you, that you're born into. You have none at all. There's very little, if anything at all, in the system left to chance on behalf of those who rule with all the financing in the world to do it all with since your tax money pays for all. Anyway, I've got to go out, I guess, and check my roof right now and see how it's doing. If it's still holding up all right, but as I say, I never prepared anything really. It's just that uh, we're living through amazing times. And for those who, who are thinking about getting depressed, believe you me, if you get through life and you have f- three to five friends, maybe t- maybe one or two good friends, think yourself lucky because Plato said the same thing in his day, that that's about the average of what you might get if you're lucky. You might only get one, you know, and you might only get one for a little while because people do change. And that's another talk too, mind you. The hardest thing for people, for people who are really searching for what's happening is to find others of like mind. And even then, you've got to be very, very careful, folks. Because there's a lot of frauds out there and con folk out there, too. And lots of us say counterintelligence people who are put out there intentionally to waylay you on your search. So don't get depressed about things. There's lots in the world to be fascinated about in the world itself that hasn't been touched by those who ruled all. It truly is. That's where true life and humanity comes. It's watching other things, even animals and so on. It's from that kind of thing. And from the occasional uh, incredible decency that can break through from people in times of crisis. It's those things that you remember. But don't get depressed. Because if you still have your thoughts, you can still keep them pretty well to yourself. And at least you'll understand why things are happening in the system and this tyranny. And it's a tyranny. And we're going through a, a phase of it where it's becoming more of an open tyranny where you're going to be punished for thinking what they claim is the wrong thing. They'll have other terms for it. They used to call it subversive thinking and treasonous thinking or revolutionary thinking. All the, all the, the things which are not in vogue right now, which is opposition to tyranny. <laughs> That's the crime in itself or refusing to be told what to call different things with new terms and all the rest of it. These are forms of tyranny from the top down, not from the bottom, folks. Nothing happens from the grassroots unless it's authorized from the very top. Anyway, from myself, from a very cold, still cold Ontario, Canada, where it's possibly going to be an awful lot of, what, eight hours of hail, hailstones. That's a lot of hailstones, nice. Then followed by a rain which will freeze on top of it. It's very slippy, no doubt. <laughs> good night. So I'll say good night from myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada. May your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>